Was it down to, to uh, well, it was interesting because I was listening to Bertie O'Hearn on the radio and, um, you know, I, I don't often say this, but he came out with some uh, some really good sound analysis. He wasn't um, Sinn Féin bashing when he said that, uh, you know, Sinn Féin took a kick in at the local elections and the European elections, but they didn't go away and cry about it. Uh, they went and they sat down and they, they analysed what they'd done wrong and they changed it. Um, and they found um, two or three issues that would resonate with the public, housing, health, um, and uh, the, the, the general feeling of the Irish population around austerity, and they just they just tacked to the left. But it also it was also election a little bit about Mary Lou as well, wasn't it? Do you not think yeah. that her presence, her as a figurehead, became quite important in it too? And you know whether it's when she was walking through the streets of Dublin in the week before. She was mobbed everywhere she went, like so. Yeah. That that played a role too. It was nearly like the Mary Lou, almost like a presidential. But even even as as you said, man, even as 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 good as their preparation was, and you know, Owen O'Brien had a fairly high profile role before the election, and Pierre Stockey obviously had made a name for himself and dealing with finance and banking, and was a really good performer in the doll and in committee and on TV and so on. Even all that good preparation, I mean, yes, they were in a position to receive them both, but they didn't create that surge by that by that work, did they? I mean, that surge no. came from somewhere else. Yeah. Where'd it come from? Tell me now, I want to know. Brexit. Fuck Brexit. No I'm more. telling you, uh, Brexit, whilst it was ongoing, had a stabilising influence in the in the short of Fine Gael. People were going, there's a steady hand there, we're not going to change over just at this minute. Once that was out of the way and over and done with, and people were going right back to where we were, what were we up to? Housing, health, those things need to be dealt with and they are incapable of dealing with Or oh, you could argue that Brexit didn't impact at all on anybody for the last six well, months and no one actually gave a fuck about it because it was, it was so distant yeah. from them. Because if you have this contradiction of being told all of the time that the economy is in recovery when you know from your own material well-being and that it's not in recovery and you're like, then talk about Brexit being important because of what the damage is going to do to the Irish economy. You don't really give a fuck because the damage has been done to you already. So arguments about the economy and its stability are kind of just irrelevant to most people. So that's, I don't think Brexit featured before, yeah. during or after. So I, I, I don't think, it, but I, I know what you're saying, but I don't think it resonated at all with anyone even during it. What do you think, Mel? Well, I think Fine Gael's election strategy was to focus on Brexit. Yeah. And we you can see what, what, what happened there. Um, I would tend to agree with Stevie on that one um, because I don't think there was enough time um, from the Brexit thing uh, being resolved or partially resolved at, at um, with Britain to the calling of the general election in the south for those for that shift in in the in the the uh, the, the public and the, and the public's thinking about those things uh, just and the, the the presidential nature of of uh, the campaign that didn't only apply to Mary Lou um, because Michal Martin uh, strategically. Fianna Fáil ran a campaign like a presidential mm. campaign. He was on he was on every election mm. poster in every constituency. It was almost like, you know, when Jim Allister runs a TUV election here, nobody else knows who's the, who the members of the TUV are. I'm not sure um, they have any <clears throat> other the members. Honestly, that it failed for Fianna Fáil, but um, so if it was a if it was around the presidential style of the campaign, then she was the only one to benefit from it. Um, well, if they did, yeah, that did play into a little bit the leadership debate and denying her a presence on the leadership debate, and then they had yeah. to let her in when the polls were not. But then Varadkar so he so lacked any kind of charisma at all that that was always going to 
if he had to play a part in a what became slightly, in some ways, a presidential campaign, he was always going to lose that because he's he's completely mm-hmm. devoid of any character or charisma at mm-hmm. all, isn't he, Lano? So um, he was always on a loser. To nothing yeah, but it's funny because we've always thought that and we've always said it. But, you know, up until very recently, I mean, he was a very, very popular uh, Taoiseach and he carried himself well. And I don't know if he was popular or the, I mean, the, establish, the establishment press painted a nice picture yeah, of the, the geezer. The, but when he had to go out on the streets and meet people... He, I mean, the man's got no man's fucking got no character at all. Do you know what I mean? He's got no empathy with people. He doesn't give a shit about people. That's what I'm saying about Brexit. With its absence, that was what was sort of giving him this lust, you know, mm. luster. And once that was away, like that, they had nothing. It was like a black hole disappeared, and all of a sudden, this onslaught of these are issues that need to be dealt with. And Sinn Fein, behind the scenes, were sitting going, "This, this, and this. Mm. This is what we're going to focus on, and this is how we're going to do it, and build up good policy around that." Uh, and I think that's what I mean. Like, once that issue was taken off yeah. the table, I think people me, didn't care about it at now, all. For me, there was a couple of things. One of them, of course, was housing and homelessness and, and the health crisis that's in the South. And that is impacted everywhere you go. Up my family's down there in Westmeath. And wherever you see and go, you can see it impacted directly and really evidentially on people's lives. It's not some distant, theoretical, abstract concept. It really is hurting people on a daily basis. So obviously, at some point, that's going to have an impact electorally. The other part, I think, to that, uh, the surge was is repeal and marriage equality and that kind of youth surge that happened before the Greens last time. The Greens benefited from that last day, didn't they, in, in the Green surge. A lot of that was young people's votes, Extinction Rebellion. Did some of that Green surge, Green Green surge, to shift its way across to Sinn Féin in the elections? I think it did because you see in terms of like 18 to 34, Sinn Féin got the highest percentage of that vote by quite a long way. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that youth vote pushing there, I think, as well as the real crises in health and homelessness. And the, and the other point to mention there about that young person's vote, although I mean, they, Sinn Féin did actually win quite a big share of the vote in other age groups as well, only over 65s they didn't, but every, but the, the biggest share was certainly 18 to, to 35. The other part of that, of course, and the, the Sinn Féin bashing that took place before um, the election in terms of the IRA and the troubles, it just, mm. didn't, it just didn't work. It just didn't take, it didn't find roots amongst younger people, partly because they don't have any memory of it, but also they don't give a shit. You know that that, that 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 that's their history. You know, yeah, twenty but, years ago. Yeah, people can see through that as well. You know, the fact that um, the stuff that came out in the press, uh, uh, in the media, uh, uh, in the run up to the election, to try and discredit Sinn Fein, Connor Murphy, and all of that stuff. I mean, people just looked seen through that. There, and the scene that was so cynical. Um, I think there's another issue around. I think you're right in the sense that it was broader than just the youth vote. If you think about um, you know, for you know, people of my age group in their mid fifties that maybe have kids living at home with their girlfriends or their boyfriends and can't even get into the rental market. Mm-hmm. Never mind get a deposit for a house. One of the oddest things I've seen, and coming from a naughty, giving analysis on the south, like watching the state broadcaster RTE has advertisements in the middle of it, which is odd enough. BBC doesn't that you don't get that up here, <laughs> you know. But there's an advertisement in the middle of it of a financial service and like a financial advice of a woman sitting in her in her kitchen and she was being drowned like in like it was horrifying. It's actually drowned, like you're being suffocated. Whilst her kids played, you know, the absolute sheer horror. Kids were playing on the kitchen table and she was just overwhelmed with this, you know, debt that she was Mm -hmm. in. And that's like a a normal advertisement in the midst of that and then you go back to the council and these RTE establishment were just absolutely baffled of how Sheffield would come to it is, it is amazing how strategically 
wrong and tactically bad the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael's campaign was in the sense that they didn't seem to realise what was happening in society around them. Now, some of that's down to being totally removed from it. I mean, some of the most senior politicians literally don't see poor people. They don't see people struggling. They don't care. They've got no empathy. But, you know, they go from, like, five-star restaurant to five-star hotel to their own home, back to the Doyle. And so there's a kind of almost like a physical geographical separation of them from the material reality of people's lives. But then when you see them on TV as well, particularly Fine Gael, that ideological kind of... They're wedded ideologically to, to neoliberalism, to capitalism and to the market. They gen, I think some of them are genuine kind of missionaries, like evangelical missionaries for the right because they cannot see any other way than the market providing the solutions, even when, of course, the market aren't providing the solutions. So they were kind of like rabbit in the headlights, I thought. They didn't have anything else to say. Their, their um, system had failed and was failing, and they had nowhere else to go. Yeah, but because they've had such a domination of, of power for 100 years, really, I mean, there, there's no need for those people to understand systems. I mean, in the it's, past, Fianna Fáil, at least, would have recognised that and then have gone, right, lads, it's time to go populist here. Let's build a few thousand houses. They did it in the 30s. They mm-hmm. did it in the, after the Second World War. This time, it wasn't really part of even there. No, but you planning, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Take a left, a left-wing tack a little bit and maybe pull a few votes in from the world. Yeah, neoliberalism, you see, got in the way. Mm. You it know, was, that, was the, that was the added factor. You could see when Mary Lou actually got on then to debate on the, on the final thing that they did. Oh, we're going to get her now. We're going to gang up on her and go, look, we know all these numbers. We have all of this figured out within this tiny framework of uh, tax and spend and how it all works. You know, you just can't have big... Uh, big popular building programs you can't do all these things because you'll be smashed by the market and that, that's the thinking mm-hmm. and they went we'll get her on that you know no other way to possibly think about the economy or do things within mm-hmm. the economy other than that neoliberal framework yeah and that was their big plan then once they allowed her into the debate yeah but she didn't, she didn't, she didn't, I mean, remember years ago I don't, know, I don't know what election was jerry adams was on tv remember once down in down south in rt and he was asked about tax and he fucked up, he didn't know the answer. Remember that, and it played for months, if not years after that, Sinn Féin don't have a clue about the economy, they don't know about any right. economics. Well, they've, they've, they've put that one to bed a long time ago mm. with the kind of quality of, we know people working, the kind of quality of research and policy they're preparing in the background. I want to bring total domination in, in, in terms of the housing brief, peer stock in the same and finance. So they, they kind of tax Sinn Féin on that. That, was, that really was their weak underbelly in the past. It isn't anymore. Now, as lefties, of course, we're saying, well, all of their plans are within the fiscal space allowed by you know the European Union allowed by having the euro as a currency and there's another huge debate there about sovereignty and what you could do if you weren't part of that imperialist bloc in the EU but maybe perhaps that's a date a uh, debate for another day even but even within the terms of the fiscal space allowed now they can do quite a lot in terms of left social democracy would you agree or not Mel? Oh, absolutely yeah but I think I mean even post the election um, their opponents are saying the same thing they're still saying the same thing. It's now time for Mary Lou to present a programme for government um, to the people and let the TD sort it out in the doll, see if she can form a government. And her government, of course, will be a disaster because the, the policies that they have are going to wreck the economy. That's a the weak economy. strategy for the Fianna Fáil right, though, isn't it? Though? That's all they've got. I mean, it's just... Yeah, they're uh, in trouble, the establishment. <coughs> Fianna Gael are probably in the, in the best position of the two because they can just put their hands up and say, look, we fucked up, we lost the election, we're out and they can sit on the sidelines, try and rebuild, get a new leader. Fianna Fáil are the ones on the sticky wicket, mm. aren't they? Because mm. he wants to be Tisha. He doesn't want to be the only Fianna Fáil leader in history never to become yeah. Tisha. And, and, yet, and that means really being in some sort of coalition with Sinn Féin and the Greens no, or something. Yeah, or something. We, you know, they, they could all find themselves on the sticky wicket because whoever, you know, whatever kind of government is formed 
is also facing into the prospect of a of another uh, crisis in capitalism, uh, and maybe an election where uh, all of the things that they want to do they're unable to do. Uh, so you know, what, what could the next election play out? And even if if they're not able to form a government, could there be another election in six months? Sinn Féin would field um, maybe you know uh, half as much as many candidates again to try and capitalise on the surge. But they need to have shown something. They need to have demonstrated that they're capable of delivering what they say they're going to deliver in that space in order to make sure that, that happens. Well, that speaks to whether the surge, that surge that Sinn Féin captured, will stay with them, mm. not just over four or five years, but over the next six months if there is a mm. second election and second elections. I don't think it's likely yet, but it's certainly a possibility because if you know if the establishment can't handle this, since Sinn Féin shows don't know what to do with it. It looks like Fianna Fáil having real problems internally about those who want to go into coalition, those who absolutely don't. So there could be a second election, but can Sinn Féin hold on, as you said, to those those votes? That's By then, or they go somewhere else, or just drift away, or say, fuck, I'm not going to vote. Because remember, it was only a 60% turnout as well. I mean, 40% of the country didn't vote. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that's typical of liberal capitalism, demo- liberal capitalist democracy, but still, it's a very high percentage. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing we sort of have to talk about, is the establishment meltdown. Unless... It just has blown them. Or they just do not know what to do. They're well, they've had a hundred years of a duopoly, so they really don't know what. But there was a brief, was it the, the, the you know the Dick Spring and the Rainbow Coalition in the early nineties, but it only lasted a couple of years. So this is the first real. Is this the end of the duopoly though, or will they come back again? The big two, was this a fundamental shift? You look at the percentages in, in your sixties, seventies, and eighties. They captured what eighty percent plus yeah. of the vote, and now they're down to forty eight percent. So they've been halved. It's halved, like in the last uh, yeah. I think if, ten years. If, if there's any long term future for them, it's it is going back to to the two, but it'll be a merger of the two conservative parties and Sinn Fein as the dominant players. Um, there are those. There are those, of course, who are saying that Sinn Fein are of the left and that they're just a nationalist party and they're a centrist party and that they're just you know playing with left politics. I mean. Personally, I think that's a fucking idiotic and ridiculous position. If you consider their their program, their manifesto is a left social democratic program. And but do you think and would you agree with others that you know Sinn Fein have carved out space on the left now? Certainly centre left anyway. There's a yeah. space there now in Irish politics that wasn't really there before. <coughs> mm-hmm. And it's whether they can colonise and populate that space and perhaps other left parties. And you know, we, there's a whole plethora of kind of leftish parties in there playing a role. But is that space? Does that space now belong to the left or will it shrink again? I think for the time being, it's going to stay there. Um, you know, Sinn Féin will have to be, you know, very bold in what they're going to do to try to keep it mm-hmm. to maintain that space. Like they'll have to show that there's answers there. Um, <coughs> and a lot of the, you know, ideologues are going to have to sort of come in and support that, and they have to, they'll have to recognise that um, that for the time being, that's this is the way it is. You mm-hmm. have to deal with those circumstances. Um, whether or not they could form a government out of all of these groups, is that likely? It is seems unlikely numbers-wise, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it'd be a minority government that won't be able <coughs> be to implement unstable. the things they would need to do in order, as you said, to secure the vote that they've mm-hmm. managed to, to kind of accumulate. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they go into coalition with Fianna Fáil, of course, those on the, there'll be those on the left who attack them for going into government with a you know party that collapsed the country 10 years ago. But on, on the face of it, there doesn't seem to be any other option, bar staying out of power, and forcing a Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil coalition, but I don't think they want that. I don't think Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil want that. Yeah, you know, they're they're in a really sticky wicket because they 
they don't want to become that single conservative party. They want to maintain their yeah. geopolitic two traditions thing. And it's, yeah. it's not. Yeah. I don't I, think that's going to happen. Anytime I don't soon. think there's any. In, I don't think there's any interest either in a grand coalition of the right. No. I think the problem here good. is those two parties can't get let go of the past. You know, they can't get over mm. the civil war. Do you know? It's just something that's going to stick. Don't with mention them. the wrath. <laughs> but there, no, but there's, there's a truth in that. Those two political traditions are, have run this country for hundred years, and the idea that they're suddenly going to give that all up and move into a grand coalition or merge into one party, don't see that happening in the next five years, do you? So that comes as, that comes back to the question of coalition building. And that, well, no, a single yeah, transferable system yeah. is going to be a coalition building. What's it going to be, Mel? Yeah, well, I, I think that there's going to have to be a realignment of of um, uh, not only uh, political forces but you know civic society forces as well. Because if Sinn Féin's going to permanently up, uh, occupy that left social democratic um, uh, position, then the trade union movement is going to have to reevaluate its relationship mm-hmm. with Sinn Féin. I think the Labour Party now, I think they know the game's up for themselves. It might, Do they, they know that? Well, there might be Design. some sort of a, a coming together to sock Dems and, and Labour, but they, they, I, I think they've given up on... The position that they would have had in the 70s and 80s, you know, as a power broker. But Labour would still be, or rather senior trade unionists in the trade union movement would still be, would still look towards the Labour Party before they look to any other party. So, yeah. but if they're, if Sinn Féin's in coalition, if, um, they'll have to deal with them. They'll have yeah, to that, talk that, them will, that will have to change. Mm. And that, that changes the dynamic and it helps change that, um, they also state broadcasters, you know, have to, um, but the trade union like the links are important because if, if, it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the links between some of the trade unions, particularly Mandate, who we know well, the retail trade union, and Sinn Féin and the, the Miscellaneous Provisions Act, the, the act that kind of near enough bans zero-hours contracts in the Republic would never have happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it, was, it was that link with Sinn Féin and the Doyle that delivered that. It wasn't, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it wasn't the, the trade union movement, broadly speaking, and the Labour Party that yeah. delivered that. It was the opposite. Yeah. It, was a, it was a different <clears throat> model entirely, so... There's also a, 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 as a, as good an opportunity now as ever existed for the water issue to be put to bed. Mm-hmm. You know that the right to water unions really doubled down on their campaign to get the uh, um, water protected in a referendum. Certainly should be more of a priority than than a border poll or. So you're looking for anything. that that you're assu- that's based on the assumption, of course, that Sinn Féin are going to be in coalition. You're yeah. making that assumption now, aren't you? Yeah. They're going to be yeah. in coalition. But the, that's the point. The next question I was going to ask is. If they do get into coalitions with whoever, and they, there's going to be, need to be a series of quick wins for them to say, look, here we are, here we're in government. This is what we're going to do. Look what we've done, and, and the water referendum would be. Would it be a quick win? Would it be a popular quick win for them? Be quick. It could be quick, and it could be very, very popular. Yeah, but I haven't heard it mentioned. No, it's I not. not it's not. At all. It's not on the cards, and <coughs> um, because I think there's a feeling that the the uh, public priorities have shifted. Uh, shifted towards housing and homelessness. But housing is but uh, but housing's not a quick win. Housing's no, a, that's a that's yeah, a massive investment, five-year yeah. program, hundred thousand yeah. houses. Health isn't even a a quick win. But health having a like slauncher care has already been agreed, isn't it? Kind of mm-hmm. well, so they might semi agree the price, but launching slauncher care as part of a new administration would be a would a rent freeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could possibly in terms of a kind of uh, an immediate impact on yeah. uh, on people's lives, the quality of people's lives, because um, that's the one thing the other two main parties didn't understand is how much people are struggling, like genuinely yeah. struggling. Don't give a fuck either, of course, but not recognising it was a strategic mistake on their part. Uh, the rent freeze has been introduced in Germany, and I hadn't sort of been paying attention to how it's been going. I know Leo Varadkar said it's been an absolute failure, even though it hadn't been implemented at that point. <laughs> but like they've introduced one in Berlin, and like it could be a very popular measure. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the Berlin thing's interesting, and then there are other policies like that emerging across Europe, particularly from local government, but also some national governments of, of policies that um, limit the role of the market. I mean, that's a, that's a fundamentally left position. You have to limit the role of the market in housing, in health, in education, and that's really what you judge. I'm sure any of us on the left will judge any new administration by. Is in what way are they limiting the role of the market, or what you know, or deregulating the, uh, the state to allow the market in? And so that, that's what they'll be judging, I suppose, you know. Um, but rent, rent freezes are problematic too, aren't they, like, I know, because it's such a complex area. Mm. Um, but it would be a quick win, as you say. But um, rent freezes at, you know, uh, levels that are already far too high, I mean, you know, how, how can that make an impact for people? I think it would be more of a populist thing, wouldn't it, a rent freeze? It's a, big, you know, you could, it's a yeah. thing you could sell very quickly. In terms of actually affecting people's lives, building social public housing is really the only yeah. answer to that one, you know. Um, what they do with the health system is another matter because it's in genuine crisis. It gets fucked, like you know, the waiting list. I think it's like, like seven or eight hundred thousand people on waiting lists to see it, to see a specialist, so, and uh, thousands of people daily on trolleys. So yeah, there's big challenges for them. But of course, all this debate is based on the assumption we think they're going to go into coalition. Who do you think we're going to go into coalition for? Um, do you want me to make a prediction? Yeah, then? I do. Yeah, um, I think Sinn Fein will do some sort of deal with Fianna Fáil and the Greens, or possibly the South Dems. Um, that, that, might, that might get them over the line. I can't see them cobbling together uh, a coalition involving all of the smaller independents. It just would be too unstable. Would it just be like hardened cats? Yeah. Not, I don't think the, the, o- the other that the other thing is that I think Martin is absolutely desperate not to be pictured as the worst Fianna Fáil leader of all time. Yeah. Um, the only one never to be Taoiseach. So you don't think you think what do you think is more likely a coalition or an election in May? Um, I, I I think both both Fianna Fáil won't want another election, and Sinn Féin will want to get into government very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, you claim where, where's your where's your bet? You're placing money. Probably be on a coalition quicker than an election. Election doesn't really suit anyone at this stage. No, and what about then? So what about? Um, I mean, obviously that's massive impact in the. Free state. What about its impact on the north and northern politics? How's that gonna? How's their success well, gonna have an impact here? I know. I know it's hard to predict because it's only just happened. But it's um, you can see it's being used to stoke fears of unionism. Um, I think it was like, like David Cumberland coming out with a speech and Chucky Arlau up the rat. The f- probably wasn't the most sensible thing he's ever said. Um, but at the same time, it has been blown into like. The new out of proportion completely make it a mountain. Yeah, but again, a bit like the pre-election tax machine, it hasn't, it hasn't really had matter. It hasn't really impacted. It doesn't really matter. No one really gives a shit about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I but don't it, think. But yeah, in terms of will. the, well, it will. It will. Even even the um, the Belfast Telegraph's publishing of Ruth Dudley Edwards' comments that this is like Nazi Germany in the thirties, equating Sinn Fein's rise with the rise of of Hitler. I mean, it's just. All the, the, the problem with that kind of stuff is that it makes loyalism um, nervous mm. and un, uneasy. Um, and that if, if there's a vacuum there in terms of um, some form of dialogue with the unionist community, then we're in for, we're in for trouble. But it shifts the dynamic dramatically, because if you think of the local parties this week will be speaking to both governments... So Sinn Féin will be speaking to themselves because they, they could possibly be one you know they could possibly be one of those governments 
So it shifts the power dynamic dramatically and puts them in a position of dominance in any local negotiations here about any kinds of agreements or moves yeah. forward. So yeah, no, they're, they're the guarantor of the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. If they go into power, that's... Is that, you know, it's not exactly a mirror image of the DUP's confidence and supply with Theresa May, like, but similar thing... You well, know. it gives Sinn Féin far more power than that gave to the DUP, that's the thing. I mean, they're going to be potentially a, a partner in a national sovereign state. Well, relatively sovereign, if you forget about the EU, but again, debate for another day. Uh, but, you know, within a state, so that, that gives them, a, a, they're in a completely different position than they've, they've ever been in their party's history. And that's what I think people are referring to as the earthquake, is the long-term implications yeah, yeah, yeah. of this. Yeah, certainly, you know, I know that Fianna Fáil have won more seat than Sinn Féin. So you could argue that they, they, they could argue that they should be the dominant um, uh, party in any coalition. But the clear will of the Irish electorate is for change, yeah. and that's not just a, a well, party won change. The, won the popular vote, didn't they? So that yeah. matters, doesn't it? Really, it's, it's, particularly it's, in southern politics. Yeah. It's it's a change of how things are done. People are fed up. I mean, I, I I've often said to people during doing, uh, if I was in Dublin doing Unite training um, with Unite activists or Mandate activists, and you often say, I'm uh, the shame coming down to Dublin. I'm walking up and down O'Connell Street. It gets worse every time you come down. Is nobody here ashamed of what's going on in this state? And of course, people are, but they're at a loss to what can we do about it? Until this is, they've been just been presented mm-hmm. with an opportunity to send a message and say, "This is not fucking on. We want to change." You're, you're so, a good point. But you're moving away from my point about the impact on the north. And let's get back to that because I want to ask another question about what does this mean about border pub? If Sinn, if Sinn Fein go into coalition, I think. Um, now, obviously, the border poll is not in their gift to give. It's, a, it's yeah, the gift yeah. of the Home Secretary. I think people are really misreading what Mary Lou's been saying and like what they were saying beforehand and uh, about a border poll. They're saying prepare for one. You know, prepare that it might happen. And I think people are going are misinterpreting that as we want a border poll and here's the date. You know, it's you don't you don't think that will form part of their negotiations with a future coalition partner that they'll say. We're going to coalition with you. We want hundred thousand houses. We want Slauncher care implicated, and we want a date for a border poll. Oh yeah, but I think at this stage, like, um, and the, I don't know if they do it within the term of a government. Mm. You know, okay. they're probably planning for long, long term down the line. Well, and even it's hard to know what. Yeah, the even is, if they plan for a border poll in, in in five years' time, yeah, you'll have a census uh, next year, and the figures will be published the year after that, which will be an absolute shock to the unionist community in the north as well because if there is a poll or even if there's a referendum in the south it will bring it, it, you know they're going to have to wake up and smell yeah. the coffee essentially and start there, um, there won't be a referendum in the south before the north I think that well it's one thing that they're calling for in Sinn Féin's Program of government. Well, if there's any, yeah, there'd have to be, there'd have to be a. It's a bit like the Good Friday Agreement. There have to be referendums on both in both jurisdictions yeah. related to mm-hmm. each other somehow. But all this assumes, of course, we've been talking about this in isolation to some degree. About it depends what Britain does too. I mean, we're not yeah. still part of the United Kingdom, and you've got an extreme right wing government there that's playing with populism and right wing uh, policies. You've got a kind of fairly populist maverick leader who doesn't seem to give a fuck about what he does. And so, you I mean yeah, constitu- the- constitutional crises? In the UK, obviously affects Ireland here, but you've also got the issue of Scotland and so on. So, yeah. and the Brexit thing will kick in there when people start to to make those considerations, particularly that middle strata of unionism that's um is is sort of one foot in both camps. Want to stay in the European Union, 
um, but want to hold on to their British identity. We're not really happy with what's going on in Westminster. Maybe, you know, uh, in three or four years' time, there'll be a, 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 a sort of a clearer uh, indication of how those people would vote in any border poll. Yeah, there's that whole thing of political tipping points. I don't think we've reached a tipping point yet, have we? The North still seems Northern to be in a bit of a slumber, mm. you know, and it's been in a slumber for a long time. And have you, you said it to me a good while ago, Stevie, that it will be outside of mess. And this was before Brexit or mm. anything even was, I think it was before even announced that there that you'd said to me, it'll be outside events that will change circumstances here. I am very good that way. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was like, yeah. quite I a am. profound prediction. Yeah, that, that was in the wake of... You didn't have of, a podcast then, but... <laughs> that was in the wake of the Scottish referendum because even though that referendum was lost, there were... Oh, well, it depends on which, you know. Yeah, well... <laughs> it was uh, lost. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is kind of complicated, isn't it? But I think the one thing that I noticed out of that was that that um, radicalisation and mobilisation of young people in Scotland mm. too. And they were looking at, I mean, I, I was really impressed with um, some of the, the, the arguments that were being made on the nationalist side of the uh, Scottish argument because there were young people saying they were painting a picture for this is how this new Scotland would look outside of the United Kingdom, this is what we would do. And it would ver have very much um, a left-wing uh, tinge to it. And that was one thing that was been missing from uh, nationalist and Republican uh, uh, utterances during the conflict and, and the, in the uh, peace process period. They never said to the unionist community, here's how Ireland would look if we were united, and here's what your place would. So you would be a very, very strong voice um, yeah. in a new Ireland. Um, just like was looking at one of the um, videos that came out of one of the last like big Scottish independence marches and it captured an energy that you just don't get here it captured something completely different um, that you don't see on Republican marches and you don't see on loyalist marches but an energy of like hundreds of kids dancing under a bridge and it, it seemed almost alien to me but it was, in, it was just infectious joy that they had of, uh, on, a, on an independence march. That I, think, I think there's a thing around um, the need people have for something really hopeful to, to yeah. believe in and, and hope and, and, and that the future's going to be better. Now, with, with all these things, with climate breakdown, with the state of the economy, with the fact we're still in a depression 12 years after the crash of 2008, people are genuinely looking for fucking hope and, and, hope, and hopeful change, and yeah. they're desperate for that. So whether, whether you agree or not, the independence movement in Scotland and, and other secessionist movements across Europe are giving people an idea of radical change is important, my life is going to get better. Whereas well, this, this stuck in this fucking failed and failing neoliberal system, it's not giving anyone fuck all apart from a worse future. Yeah. You know? But it was well, interesting during the election down south that, was, um, that climate breakdown didn't feature in people's, you know, in people's reasons for voting. Yeah. It was health and housing and childcare and it was those material conditions yeah. things. So, but well, it, but one, it, one sorry, of the things, I think, just in terms of how those questions are asked and what people are focusing on right now, I don't think it's gone off the table. I don't think climate change is... No, my point, my point, sorry, my point was that precisely that is that climate change has to be about health and housing and yeah. education and, yeah. and all of those social issues that climate breakdown and climate change has to be a left-wing hopeful... It can't be stories about... We're going to punish you. We're going to fucking carbon tax you. We're going to make you eat no meat, you fucker. Penalise you. It has to be about we're going to have more and better healthcare, more and better homes, more and better jobs. It has to be that kind of message. And so I think, you know, that the elections 
showed that in the south people are really interested in those things you cannot get you cannot have these debates about a just transition and a hopeful future without talking about health education jobs and all the, all the yeah. typical left-wing issues that we've been going on about for fucking you decades sort of, you sort of kind of like capturing that you know popular energy um in terms of the uh in gay marriage and then repeatedly there was like an energetic um sort of youth movement there do you mm. think that played then on into this search for Sinn Féin. I think it did. The statistics show out that the vast majority of people under 35 voted voted that way, 30-odd percent or 35, 36%. So repeal, you know, extinction rebellion, marriage equality, those socially liberal changes which we've seen in Ireland in the last 10 years are playing into this idea for, we want, well, that's nice, we'll have some of that. Can we have some more, please? Now that we're moving on to health and education, then we're going to move on to transport, then we're going to move on to childcare. So it's, uh, that's why... I suppose it's important for anyone on the left that Sinn Féin have carved out and captured that position there on the, yeah. the centre left. Would um, it be possible? Because that's what people want. Would it be possible? And you, you said something earlier, Mel, about uh, you know those issues taking precedence over a border poll, like that those um, you know you see Mary Lou and them coming out very quickly and going right. Well, we need to prepare for this this border poll, and you know obviously the establishment is a recoiling and horror and going. Well, we can't. This is all too much for us. Mm-hmm us at least the way you know uh, and you see online commenters twitter facebook and that sort of like uh freaking out they're going well we're going to have a united ireland and all of these things are going to come crashing down and yeah i think i don't know it's partly due to what happens in the rest of britain as well isn't it and scotland yeah. and, and constitutional crisis and all well, that, I, that that'll play a role yeah I'm, I'm interested in how does that then affect the north is there a way to have some energetic you know movement here that's no, it'll be a fudge. It'll be some sort of constitutional fudge. It'll take about twenty years, and then we'll, we'll all be dead by climate breakdown. So that's that's my. <laughs> I mean, the idea that you're not going to get it. you're that's not going to get the yeah, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get this. Oh, this is going to United Ireland. It's going to be great. We're all going to meet in the middle and fucking have big flag waving fucking ceremonies, and it's all going to be fantastic. And the Queen and the fucking Pope and the President will be there smashing champagne bottles on the side of a fucking new ship island. No, what it will be is. And the Northern Ireland will stay, the, the, the region will stay as it is, but it will be included partially in some sorts. You know, it will be like dual sovereignty. It will be, it'll be yeah. a whole fucking 20 year fucking fudge. Yeah. And yeah, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that, you know, no matter what change comes um, in the 26 counties or indeed the North, uh, uh, capitalism still like the yeah. underpinning order. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not sustainable either ecologically or economically. Um, what space then for, for anti-imperialists? What space for um, the left then to make those arguments that we need something even more radical than Sinn Féin could even imagine? But the point about that, we do the, the radical and transformative change that we need to see in the next, you could argue, five or ten years. I mean, up until Friday, you couldn't see that happening. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the point. Well, now there's a, there seemed that space, the, 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 the vote of the big two dropped in 2016 dramatically, but there was no one to fill that space. It looks as if Sinn Féin's in there now. Well, yeah. It's going to fill that well, space. That's the job you. of them and the rest of the left to, to fucking colonise that space yeah. and to expand it and expand it with radical, transformative, hopeful hmm. visions of the future. Yeah. Yes, utopian views even. But it, it shows you how desperate it is whenever one of the election slogans, a Sinn Féin election slogan was, workers need a break. Yeah. Or just mm. give us a break. You know, give us a few extra quid. Give us some workers' rights. I mean, that's give us that, a fucking house to live so. In. When people do get a uh, the prospect of a house, whenever they do get a prospect of, of of at least some sort of welfare safety net, then that's that that's all they want. 
that 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 will be success for them. You know, it's our job to to keep banging away at the at the the system itself and saying we can have more than this. The, the other interesting thing, I know we're getting we're going to run out of time soon, but the other interesting thing about election, of course, was the was the complete and utter failure of the fascist and populist right to make any fucking inroads at all anywhere, which is a great result, isn't it? I mean, it was bash the fascist <coughs> because there was some discussion before and that they might sneak in here or there or not even get a not that they'd win a seat, but their, their vote would be mm. high enough to yeah, cause us were, some... Yeah, there was some right-wing independence, but none of the wee um, outright fascist groups. Did you see... They the, got a couple of hundred votes here and there. I think your man Gilroy got seven or eight hundred or th- above a thousand with a few transfers, but they didn't make any impact anyway. Yeah, I hope he hangs about for a while just for the entertainment value. He's good. His videos are brilliant. Uh, he's, I, he's I love those videos. The, the Hurl yeah. videos are fucking superb. Yeah. You know, they should be... Labour? Oh. Oh, Labour me bollocks. <laughs> I, I think... Well, that's a danger... Um, the establishment constantly talking about populism. That type of populism will, you know, if he sticks about, he grow. Like yeah, which, we, we have to accept that that Sinn Fein's um, politics has always been well. Republican politics in general, in the in the big scheme of things, has always been a bulwark against the rise um, of fascism. The, the rise of, of that kind of far right. Well, there's no doubt that I mean Sinn Fein having that left kind of civic nationalist position has kept the right at bay. I mean, the, the, the take from England and Britain was fucking hilarious, wasn't it, over the weekend? Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, I think Anne Applebaum says, oh, English nationalism has given rise or a bounce to Irish nationalism. Like, you <laughs> fucking, I mean, completely misunderstanding everything about Ireland and its history and its relationship with Britain. Even John Simpson, what did he come out with? Oh, what, what did John Simpson say? He said, uh, uh, after years and years of stability, they've just, you know, succumbed to nationalism. And populism. I mean, populism they couldn't get, I mean, they couldn't fucking get it more wrong, the British commentary. But that tells you an awful lot about the Anglo-centricism of, 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 of England and Britain as well, because, I mean, when they look at a map, Ireland's basically not on it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of but absent. You look at the list of, like, what people were concerned about. Immigration was nothing. No way, they, nothing but that no. narrative has been very successful. Ireland, and start to call it Ireland, as opposed to the Republic of Ireland. Um is a sort of modern liberal democracy doing really well first um first country to drag itself out of recession after 2008 all that sort of mm, stuff yeah i mean if you're if even if the the, the british media uh, are, are conditioned to think that well that, that must be the story that's they've been telling themselves out there yeah. for the last 15 yeah, years yeah but there's also that kind of imperial dumb fuckery that sits at the heart of britain as well when yeah. it comes to anything to do with Ireland, they misunderstand it they don't know its history they don't know its culture its language or fuck all about it that plays a massive part in that as well i mean i meet people on the british left who are fucking clueless about this place but like, when i mean clueless oh you're from belfast is that in the that's is that in the republic is it i mean really just you know basic geographical fuck from a place that's 100 miles off their coast do you know what I mean? So that, but that I think that plays into the establishment. That imperial, that imperial mindset of Britain, you can't underestimate that. No, no. It's rooted in its institutions and it's the way it thinks about the world, you know. And if it thinks that way about Ireland, you can imagine what it thinks about fucking Africa and India and the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like it up them. <laughs> Captain Nenning. Right, lads, we're coming to the end of this. Any last point you want to make before we turn off this podcast and um, go back to work? Mel, I'll let you have a word and then you can think of something clever to say, Clem. Something profound. Not something <laughs> profound that. Something that I would say. I mean, something yeah. profound, you know. Don't put us on I think the, any I think the phrase I used all them years ago was exogenous shocks. I think that's actually what I said. Just Ex- wanted to make that. Yeah, well, you can look going up in the dictionary after me. <laughs> Mel can throw in the word lacuna now if you want. No, <laughs> no, well, no I just, I think, um, uh, you know, words of congratulations to... Um, Sinn Féin and the way that they've, they've uh, campaigned and the, the way they've uh, 
I suppose they would like to think they've seized power, but anyway, whatever way that pans out. But also, it's uh, I'm delighted to see some of those left independents back. Mm. Thomas Pringle, Joan Collins, um, among others. That the names just escape me. But Dean Mulligan. Um, no, he didn't get elected. No, he was close. Dean was right. Gino Kenny was the one yeah. I was I was thinking about. So, I mean, the, the, at least you know. I suppose a month ago we were those people were looking at decimation. Mm. Um, they're back in there. They'll keep Sinn Féin. And the PPB, they were looking at wipeout. Yeah. And they've, they've come back with I think, yeah. five out of the six they had. I think it was only Ruth yeah. Coppinger that lost her seat. Yeah. So, although I haven't said that, a lot of their votes were transfers and riding on the coattails of that yeah. Sinn Féin surge yeah. as well. So that's not a bad thing that Sinn Féin mm. brought them in. You know, brought yeah. them into the dog. I was surprised at the very low first preferences and then being brought in by transfers. Like yeah. you really see the effect of the election. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. In that sense, like you, you know, and, and it put out a lot of. Can we have a word? Can we have a quick word about the Greens before we finish? They got twelve. They've up. They're yeah. in double figures now. They've done really well. Seriously, really well. McHugh over in Mayo was very close. Lorna Bogue down in Cork missed out by a few hundred. I think she was very, very close too. And <laughs> pity those two missed out. Because from what I understand, they're kind of. They form the left wing of the Green Party, which I understand is quite small. And it would be good to have their voices in there, but it seemed to be mainly the East Coast, didn't it? Kind of yeah. Dublin and the East Coast. Yeah. So, um, what, what, what can we expect from the Green Party? I, I think uh, we need to see the Greens tack to the left. Mm. Um, but they won't with Ryan in charge, will they? Isn't that a problem? Well, I think my, my, the rumblings are that that's already a work in progress. Yeah, um, but is there anyone else of those TDs elected who who are naturally on the really, left, or are they? I've never really paid much attention to them, you know, because because they've always been so right wing, and mm. um, you haven't taken them seriously, apart from some of the activists that we know that are quite clearly embarrassed about that stuff. Um, who who do you want to mention their names? No. <laughs> I'm not sure if they'll ever listen to trademark podcasts, but you know who I'm talking about. But it's important, I suppose, if that space on the left is to be secured in Irish politics, that the, the green movement as such is not going to go away. That's, that's a part of the future of lots of young people. They're looking in that direction. They're looking. They're thinking about the world in those terms. That, that, that green vote, that green surge, that green movement has to, has to be injected with a bit of left politics. I mean, we're at the point now of talking that the market will not provide the solutions to prevent climate breakdown. Those well, are democratic decisions yeah, that have to be taken yeah. by, by us, the people. And the Greens at the moment seem to be looking for market solutions yeah. to these problems. And well, that's a dead the end problems route. of the ecology and the problems of the planet are not the property of the Green Party, any Green Party anywhere in the world. And um, parties of the left need to start waking up mm-hmm. and taking those issues seriously as well. I like that. I think we'll finish on that point. Lads, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for your analysis, as good and as bad as it was. And uh, we'll see you all again. Slango foil. Here, Clem, have you any of those um, Sinn Féin application forms handy? 